Hey everyone, before we get started, just want to let you know that we are on the Facebook where you can like us and confabulate about issues musical and cultural. We are also on the World Wide Web at albumorientedpodcast.com. Finally, we are also on iTunes and other great podcasting services where you can subscribe and give us good reviews. Thanks. Two, three. One, two, three, one, a two, a one, two, three. Two guys who grew up during the album era. Two lists of the 100 albums of all time. This is Album Oriented. For the purposes of dramatic conflict and also based in reality, I am Eric Kurtz, the apologetic indie snit anglophile who never stops paying attention to mainstream music. And I am Daniel Nestor, the unapologetic mainstream champion who watched every episode of 120 Minutes and has pockets of obscuro factoids. Just went to a wedding on Monday, and guess oh, what they played? Lovely. Uh, oh, oh, I got it. C- celebrate by. Uh, <laughs> oh no, Kate uh, gang. Think about what we just talked about last episode. Well, Jeff, Buckle- we... Jeff Buckley, Hallelujah. Oh, how nice! It was like I think he, I think they they edited it a little bit, so it was you know. We were deep in the Jeff Buckley universe. Basically, basically the mid, the late, uh, like the the last half of the '90s, basically. Twenty years later, baby, and we're still playing Hallelujah at weddings. But yeah, it was it was it was well. It, it was great. It was great. I'm, I'm glad we talked about the album a little bit, and I was like, oh, this must be really special to them. Uh, yeah. Sp- you know, speaking of the late '90s period, though, I I was I, I don't know if you uh, know this, but but since we're album oriented, <laughs> I'll bring up something that's not not album oriented, <laughs> which is uh, that in '98, which is in this period that we're talking about last yeah, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
the RIAA decided that you no longer had to produce a physical single in order to release the song as a single. So get your mind around that for a second. That happened in 98? 98. That's pretty innovative for the RIAA, actually. It's pretty early. So apparently, unless you had a physical object... You were talking about Kasingles. Right, right, right. A few. So Kasingles uh, didn't have to do a Kasingle, didn't have to do a 45. No 12 inches. We're talking electronic No, like but say, say, up until 1998, if you wanted a song to be able to chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. songs couldn't chart on the Hot 100, Billboard Hot 100, <laughs> unless there was a physical, like, it's almost like, it's like, just as Napster was getting off. But like a year before Napster. So it's interesting uh, because it seems like the 90s is the moment that songs started to make their way off of albums anyway without being released as singles. <laughs> right. And, get, and getting the... Right. And, and then there was like this huge discrepancy between, wait, these songs are immensely popular, but they haven't been released as physical objects. Right. Why aren't they being reflected now? Right. On the, on the Hot 100 Billboard charts. So anyway, it, just, it just speaks to the power of the album, I think, you know, and 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 a really long hold on making bands pick singles. But my gosh, we really benefited from yeah. that from that those decades worth. And I'm not, you know, I gotta confess, I'm not sure of the logic behind making bands physically release these 45s or the 12 inches by the time we were buying albums and. Uh, singles, singles, <laughs> CD singles. Remember those little three-inch buggers or whatever, however big they were. That's right. You know, yeah. Sometimes with videos, had, had to get a little adapter on it. Yeah, yeah. But they, had, but then they had the videos, and they had twelve-inch uh, mixes on them, and they had B sides. I mean, you got. I think- have the Men Without Hats. Pop goes the world. <laughs> Don't know who, what I can play it on. But I think this, there's a bunch of stuff that we never would have got had they not. And you know, required this. The nerd in me, the nerd in me, really loves singles because of the non-album B-sides. It's an opportunity for a band and artist you really love to put out a, a song that's not on the album. And I, I always nerd out on that. I always think that's fun. And I remember, I recall as a you know, like a nine-year-old with my you know, twenty forty-fives playing the B-sides just as often as the A-sides because I didn't really even differentiate. You know, I really love the B-side, for instance, of player's baby come back <laughs> it was like a rocking song and kim carnes's betty davis eyes has like uh some track called break the rules i fucking love that song it's the b-side you know three chords of fury i'm putting that shit on our album oriented spotify list Got some pretty bad shit on that on that playlist
98. What a weird record uh, year for for the recording industry. Well, every year is weird for the recording industry, but they were still making money, man. I mean, <laughs> was, you know, right. they, like I say, what Napster? It, it feels like it must have started around. This is just a okay. Here, this is where we again admit that we're just doing this off the fly. <laughs> yeah, we but, should look that up. <laughs> yeah, Napster probably started, but. I think it had not. It hadn't even made yeah. a dent by then. So it was really, again, I think that all these really popular songs uh, just being pulled from the albums and not being reflected in the charts. And so then there was this question of what what good are the charts if the really popular songs aren't being reflected there? Right, anyway. right. This calls back a bit to our New Order discussion, right? Mm. Where uh, Blue Monday wasn't allowed to chart or wasn't allowed to count as a single, right? Right. In, in the UK. Because it just wasn't released as a single, or they didn't pay their dues to the the UK Council with exactly. a C. They, um, <laughs> they were not participating in the official. Yeah. Well, you were talking about Napster, and um, I like to complain a lot of how people use cultural shorthand. You know, my my go to example is like after Nevermind by Nirvana. You know, heavy metal died and everything changed. Right. You see Mickey Rourke and the wrestler saying, like, when that damn Nirvana came out, it all sucked. Uh, and that's, I say that's not entirely true, and somebody should, somebody smarter than me should write something about that. Whoa, hell yeah. All right. Come on, baby. Dance with me. Here? <laughs> yeah, right here. Come on. Uh uh-uh. uh. Come on. Yeah, I've danced this plenty. Okay, I'll dance for you then. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> you can get your chef. Hey man, I need a job. <laughs> there we go. Oh, it's a lap dance I'm getting. <laughs> right from the beginning. That you would end up winning. I knew right from the start. You put an arrow through my heart. <laughs> <laughs> round and round. Yeah. God damn, they don't make them like they used to. Fucking eighties, man, best shit ever. Put oh, your ass, man. Guns and Roses, the rule. Crew. Yeah. Def Lap. Then that Cobain pussy had to come around and ruin it all. You know? Like there's something wrong with wanting to have a good time. I'll tell you something. I hated the fucking nineties. Nineties <laughs> fucking sucked. Nineties fucking sucked. When people talk about Napster, like gutting the record industry, I just saw a documentary on Napster that's that's that pretty much says it, it happened that's what happened it's exactly what happened. like it really you know changed the record industry and you know it was never never the same and speaking of which I should I should look up the book but a book noted that um, the way that all this stuff got leaked was actually a guy that was working yes. for one of the record companies right but, but a, a guy from the inside who was just taking all these CDs out with him it was a New Yorker piece I think uh, from from work yeah. African-American guy lives in, like, Maryland or something. Exactly. And right. he was a nice guy. He wasn't like, I'm going to mess things up. He was just like, I really like MP3s and, and computers. It, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe he did turn evil. I don't know. I don't think I finished the article. And I've heard a lot of interviews with him because it seems like a lot of music critics are Oh, like, he's still around? He hasn't been killed by, <laughs> by some BMG assassin? No, no. Uh, interviews, with the, well, <laughs> interviews with the guy who wrote the book about it oh, okay. just recently. Um, and I think a lot of music critics who were blamed at the time for doing all the leaking oh yeah because they get the advanced copies et cetera, <laughs> exactly et cetera. now they're happy to trot this guy around to say no you see it was someone from the inside <laughs> what score are they trying to settle at this point well <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that, I mean that 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 Napster thing that really happened. You know, like you could go go and dial up, you know, just about any, any album in the universe. I still have some MP3s that you can't get anywhere or whatever uh, rarities and unreleased things. Right, it was great. But we, this is this is almost an exercise in nostalgia. This whole podcast, right? It's album oriented. We bought these albums. Yeah, where well, are they? Where are they physically now? They're like what in my mom's garage, or something. you know, some of them used to be for years and years as I traveled from apartment to apartment. I see them in your house. What do you mean? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean they're that, but I sold them off. I mean whatever I have now, albums wise, is like novelty recordings, soundtracks. <laughs> so, so what are we talking about today? There today we are on to. I am. I've actually got a mojo swap. Hey, hey, hey! Mojo swap. All right. And my Mojo Swamp is uh, for the bosses born to run. I had a good shtick last time on the outro where I was doing Tom Waits. And and I was reminiscing. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So my my swamp is spiritualized. Ladies and gentlemen, comma, (laughs) we are floating in space. We are indulging in ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, we're playing 17 minute songs <laughs> with Dr. John because <laughs> we have CDs and we can do that kind of thing. Yeah. Don't, you know, I don't know what Jason not, Pierce sounds I'm not, like with I'm them. not Rich Little, okay? I can't do everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing Rain Dogs by Tom Waits. Yes, I am. Rain Dogs. Who and has a lot of really superior albums. And it, uh, I, yeah. I still wonder. Why this one? I guess maybe this is the one. We'll, but, we'll, we'll get to that. Well, you know, that, that's what the podcast is for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, so, and and you have the kicker pick from the year 1991. Yeah. Yeah. So when we get back, we're going to talk a bit about uh, Spiritualized. Ladies and gentlemen, we're floating in space. Ladies and gentlemen, 
we are floating in space. There's no comma. That was actually a for for avid listeners who listen to our thing, <laughs> including me, uh, over Explain and over it to again. Me. <laughs> it's our it's our very first podcast together from oh. William comma. Oh, it yeah. was really nothing yeah. by the Smiths. Well, this is ladies ampersand gentlemen. <laughs> That's right. We could have <laughs> we floating we in space. Could have gone that direction. We are up, uppercase A R. And we and wow, it it gets off on that level. I love the little uh, beeps in there, uh, as if directly sampled from a spaceship. Mm. Yeah, and, and gets us off on on this feeling of floating. Although it's not something that Jason Pierce maintains, I think throughout the whole uh, album. Uh, this, you know, I remember really liking the album when I first got it. Um, when it first came out and it was being raved about is one of the most important things to come out in a while. And, uh, yeah, it was great just to have on in the background, but it was interesting in the last couple of weeks, listening to it carefully that the albums really, I'm sorry, the songs, <clears throat> the songs really vary, uh, a lot in, in their feel and in their, in their textures. And there are many songs which are ground grounded. I want to say grounded in a certain level of, mm-hmm chaos and squall as opposed to always feeling like we're just drifting along the whole album doesn't just drift uh as i'll point out in another song a little bit later but i you know i i don't know if i listened to it when it came out but as i was listening to the first couple tracks i just thought oh this will be nice background music while i you know register students for my classes or whatever i'm doing (laughs) and then we get to the later tracks where (laughs) there's you know some like Albert Eiler, you know, noise stuff going on. Yeah, and yeah, uh, absolutely. And so, so it's a it's a varied album. This is not like some sort of sound bed, uh, you know, air album type of thing. Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I was thinking that at least thematically, uh, you know, I'm always looking for the things that unite these two random albums that go together. But <laughs> but both Spiritualized and and Tom Waits's album. Have a lot of guest appearances by by various yes. artists. Yeah, right. It's yeah. not not just the artist and their personal band uh, on all the tracks, but mm-hmm. here um, Jason has uh, brought in uh, the Balinist Quartet and mm-hmm. then brought in Doctor Hook. No, Doctor John. Do- sorry, yeah. <laughs> Doctor Doctor Hook will be better. Dr. The entire Dr. band, Doctor Hook. What was their What was their and fucking? I think Doctor Pepper was involved. <laughs> what was their hit? Dr. Love. <laughs> he had the cure spiritualized was thinking of. <laughs> they had to call him ahead of time, but uh, they did get Dr. Love in for the session. <laughs> the first thing the cure is a kiss.
at any rate, this this band had formed out of the remnants of Spaceman Three, which I was actually listening oh, to. Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah, oh. back in the back in the late eighties. So they broke up. We're like, we're Spaceman Two. Get out of here, guy who's going to form spiritualized. <laughs> and then when they got down to Spaceman One. They they changed the name, the new spaceman, (laughs) the original space, just spiritualized. But uh, they they definitely come out of this. uh, I want to look. I'll just call it a Cocteau Twins tradition. I'm sorry. Really? Okay. This sort of wall of guitar uh, sound, right? Not as intricate as Robin Guthrie from Who Can Be Cocteau Twins. Absolutely, but nonetheless, um, this feeling of gigantic uh, space. Hence, Space Spaceman Three is the name of the album. Uh, I mean, name of that band. Uh, but we can already hear it on this on this first track and the sort of the guitar that's just way way in the background and just uh, providing some drones uh, for us. And I think their their famous uh, tagline from themselves, I think, was uh, taking drugs to make music to take drugs to. Well, that was I. I was. <laughs> I mean, right. That's a. I was going to chime in and just say how much pot was available in England in the late 90s because, I mean, this is, I I, I get a contact high just listening to this because it's just trippy, trippy, you know, music. And and, um, and then the other, I guess I was going to ask, like, this is at least a first cousin to the Britpop movement, right? I mean, I read in the Wikipedias that uh, the head guy's, the head guy's girlfriend ran off with Richard Ashcroft of the Verve the just Verve. before this album was recorded. <laughs> right. So, Jason Pierce is his name. Jason yes. Pierce, right, right, and and uh, but I remember the Verve guy, <laughs> Richard Ashcroft. Yeah, yeah, and I, but I don't remember the woman <laughs> who does. Uh, yeah, and um, so I guess I was trying to contextualize it in the Britpop movement, but I guess that's a. That's a dark alley. That, that that doesn't really. It didn't seem to bring up any analysis for me to think about this in the context of you know, you know, Noel Gallagher visiting Tony Blair and Ten Downing. You know, like <laughs> is it part of that go go nineties Britpop thing? This was like maybe a, well, an alternate strain going on at the same time of like I mean some mellow of those, stuff. Some of those, yeah, some of those early Blur tracks are a bit like mm-hmm. like this. Sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Sort of. This is the moment when ecstasy as a drug takes off. But I mean, but you're 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 right. There's this. I too feel this sense of like that quote is funny in itself. That you because the music already supplies you with a sort of feeling of yeah, as you yeah. say, it's a contact high itself. So it's like taking drugs to make music to take drugs too. <laughs> what would be the correlate? Making music that feels like drugs. To listen to music or something. Oh, I thought you were going to say sober music, making music you can be sober to. <laughs> like, well, that would be, I don't know, <laughs> Edie Gourmet or something. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. I, I found it quite a like an, un, an uneven record from, you know, album. If I had to think of tracks, individual tracks that I liked, I, I, I can sort of differentiate songs that I like and songs that I don't like. I guess I'm wondering... To what degree is this nostalgia for the enemy staff to pick this? We're still at the point in the list where there's still room for strange picks. You know, picks yeah, where maybe four... Creative pick. Some people saying, no, don't include that, include this. And and I think we're still at that point. So when we take a look at this... But you know, but you make the... I think you make the point when you say, when you're trying to contextualize this, that there wasn't a lot of music that sounded 
like this <laughs> or albums that sounded like this at this particular moment. So, um, you know, it, they do make a big case for why this album and why this is uh, his um, his masterwork, uh, I guess, although he's you know, still active. Um, this is considered spiritualized, you know, magnum opus. I yeah, mean, it, it's I certainly still, uh, absolutely. It's certainly magnum when you look at it on the uh, the Spotify. I was like, this is two hours and twenty minutes long, or whatever it was. But it includes like disc two and disc three of the reissues, like acapella takes, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so I wanted to play a different uh, song, uh, my, my proper uh, song off of it, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, the Eddie Money cover. Um, I think I'm in love. <laughs> so you're just making things harder for me as far as the uh, you didn't you know that was a cover no i didn't know <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna play i think i'm in love i think i'm in love <laughs> and i can't get enough <laughs> it's gotta be love <laughs> just openly confess that most of what I really like, even like the P.J. Harvey drone track from last time, mm-hmm. is a psychedelically influenced stuff. I like me some psych pop. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this album, this track in particular, which goes on from, it's a full eight minutes and ten seconds, <laughs> and that's about how much time you need to get through a song uh, like this. Um, to make you can hear, it's, it's all built on, I mean, look, he's, you know, He's drawing on influences uh, like sort of American minimalist uh, re- re- repetition movements, mm-hmm. uh, Terry Riley, Lamont Young, these kinds of things. You go, girl. Yeah. And also, I would say some sort of Krautrock. 
uh, with these sort of repetitious uh, driving rhythms, uh, you know, <laughs> you you brought up the oh no, there's a harmon- there's a harmonica. <laughs> I, I didn't just bring it up. I was throwing a fit. <laughs> you were throwing, I, was being, I was being judicious. I have to confess. Here it comes. <laughs> and I don't think I brought, t- brought this up with our Talk Talk uh, Color of Spring. Was that the one we won? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me see. Is this a podcast exclusive? It is a podcast exclusive. Harmonicas just take me out of it sometimes. It, you know, when they're just... Yet they had a nice feel going on there with the wah-wah pedal and... All that stuff, and then all of a sudden, like, and it reminds me of Zydeco, and I hate Zydeco, and and it, it, yeah, it shouldn't happen. Okay, but but, <laughs> and there's harmonica on Beach Boys songs that I really love, or you know, but I just, I must have been beaten as a child by a harmonica <laughs> player. It's an irrational right. reaction. Your father had a harmonica in his <laughs> mouth while <laughs> taking blows at you. Exactly. <laughs> But here, not used in the traditional Neil Young way. I know that sends chills down your spine. Uh, and not in the and not in a great way. But but here's a, as a drone as a drone instrument. It's almost like a didgeridoo or something. Uh, you know, yeah. it does not make it better for me. It's like a vuvu, it's like a vuvuzela or something. <laughs> yes, right, yeah. <laughs> it's still you're still not convincing. <laughs> I mean, you can't sell me a harmonica. You know, inclusion. But but it's it's a it's a it's a really atmospheric trippy song. I really love it, and when the harmonica stops, I'm really back into it. <laughs> I don't know that it quite ever does. That's what I mean. It's sort of like <laughs> I can see the I can see the write up unceasing harmonica provided by. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know which harmonica specialist they brought in for to play this that, that one breathe. note. Somebody who could breathe. <laughs> Steve Lacey. <laughs> For somebody, a really long time without him. Yeah, somebody capable him. of circular breathing. Steve Lacey or Kenny G. I think the only people I know, who, horn players, are good. What is, I don't know what's, I think circular play, circular breathing is like you never inhale. Like you're capable of keeping an airflow all the way out. Uh, is that well, right? Actually. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> circular breathing <laughs> is a way of blowing out through the instrument. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but then being able to hold enough air in, in your mouth and toward the back of your throat, uh, and then bring, and blowing, continuing to blow while you take air in through your nose, does this guy know, more air up? Does this guy know how to party or what, man? <laughs> how do you know that? Because of the Steve Lacey. Well, sir, you used to play uh, saxophone and look. I didn't. I didn't win the Louis Armstrong Jazz Award for nothing. <laughs> did you? I did. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> for, for playing the sax. Satchmo was there <laughs> to give me the award. Anyway, per, personal confessions aside, it's a nice segue into the other things that happen in this album. We don't stay in this sort of just spacey, uh, like you say, almost airish territory without the sort of French funk and the, and the moogs and stuff. We are nonetheless in this... Uh, it's a spacey, guitar-driven, um, motoric, krautrocky, uh, minimalist-driven uh, songs. Uh, but what uh, a lot of writers about this album seem to me to miss is sort of the uh, sort of Miles Davis sort of on the corner uh, fusion turn. You, you know, know, and we talked about that when we talked about Talk Talk. Uh, you know that it, the, uh, the Color Spring album is that you know I don't I don't. There might be just some a little 
soup song mention of of Miles Davis, you know, uh, mm. but but most rock people that I know listen to their Miles Davis. They might not be full in on jazz as like a, a whole. They might not all be jazz heads, but right? They, but they definitely listen to On the Corner or you know, uh, bitches brew or something. sketches of spring. You know that that Spain, Spain. Yeah. yeah, sketches of spring. Same whichever great album, Ride of Spain or something. <laughs> But all, all those, I mean, I think what Miles Davis, what what rock people bring out, get out of those is, is the atmosphere or the idea that there can be an atmosphere, yeah, over, over or just as important as song structure. And make no mistake, it's cross it's cross pollination. I mean, Davis was listening to some of those minimalist composers too, mm-hmm. right, and and sort of melding all. The, I think they fused it. <laughs> The music together. <laughs> Let the record show that I used scare quotes around fused. Let's let's call this fu- fusion music. So, at any rate, and that, as I started off with, that leads us to some of the, the more squall type stuff that the album sort of heads toward. Um, we begin a very airy, as you say, great music to listen to in the background, and then. Are we going to play the part where people who were in my office at the time were frightened? We're going to play that 17-minute track? We are going to play the final track on the album. (laughs) They did not register for the class. (laughs) Okay, and we're back. Uh, The the song, the 17-minute squall song that we're speaking of is Cop Shoot Cop, dot, dot, dot. Spiritualized. Is there another Spiritualized album on the top 100? You would think that the enemy might might Spiritualized three might have gotten around to it. And this wasn't it. This is Mojo, right? Um, yeah. But also UK based, by, by you know. Side note. UK. Well, yeah. I, I would say UK centric. I mean, Mojo's more Americanized, I would say, than Enemy certainly, right? I mean, it's more than Enemy. Yes. In that they have Jack White more on the cover. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> okay, so this is Cop Shoot Cop. It's the last. It's, uh, yeah. It's over 17 minutes long. Uh, folks, we will not m- make you wait that long to hear our dulcet tones. And if you're like me time. and you like song structure and singing and stuff, I would recommend the track uh, Stay With Me. Stay With Me is a nice, you know, track. It has, a, yeah. you know, sort of nice bass line and everything like that. So put that on your little mixes and say you listen to Spiritualized. Smile all the time, don't 
Well, we listened to some spiritualized with uh, Dr. Hook. Dr. John. <laughs> and I know that you... Uh... I'm leaving that snort in. <laughs> Don't edit that out, me. It's a reverb on it. Um... <laughs> And thanks for staying with us. Dr. John must have been really pissed when Dr. Hook came around. (laughs) Or vice versa. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. For the 17 minutes of that. Um, Dr. John does not last that whole thing. We did not play the 17 minutes. But I think he did walk out after a while. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like you guys are busy. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Is there a bar in the front of this studio (laughs) space? And even though we're done with spiritualized, by the way, I will, I will note that it, it did turn into a sort of a Brian Wilson type. You know, I mean, obviously they had access to uh, better than four track recording. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Jason Pierce just having a lot of time to splice all these different bits together. And, you know, at some point you, you wind up with a 17 minute, <laughs> eight, eight, eight minutes, 17 minute songs. Um but yeah, part part of the composition process, splicing together there. You think that's that's a splice like to was... get their splices and stuff and everything? Oh yeah, no, yeah. no, I know there are. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's a. Uh, it's definitely not something I listened to at the time. And so, I, is there going to be some sort of Tom Waits segue? I guess there's not. Other, than I could talk like Tom Waits if you want. Um, I, we're just here, rain <laughs> and rain and rain dogs. And it's on. Yeah. So, uh, Rain Dogs uh, is the eighth album by Tom Waits. I didn't know he had that many, but he he, he dates back prolific. to early 70s. And uh, I was trying to think of why this album by Tom Waits, as opposed mm. to other albums. I mean, if it were me to think of, like, oh, what's my go-to Tom Waits album, it would be Frank's Wild Years. Um Right, and I think I'm not alone in that. I think people th- sort of regard that as like his best album or hmm. most popular. Maybe um, he has so many, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, um, and so this, many, and so many that are critically praised as no, no, this is the best one. You know, yeah. So it's yeah. like a reevaluation period every time another one comes out. Right, and uh, it, we talked about personnel in the last segment. I mean, there's mm-hmm. this guy named Keith Richards. I'm not sure you've heard of him. He plays on three of the tracks. I kind of feel like that's one of the reasons why this one gets selected. You think so? Is because of the people who who, who play on it. Like yeah. Keith, like Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I really like uh, Mark Rabot as a player. He's, he's a great guitar player. He's, he's the whole reason you know, I heard this album to begin with. Oh really? You're like that psycho of a Rick uh, uh, Mark Rabos. Mark Rabos, uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I love him. Um, so it's it's a I mean in a way it's uh, oh Robert Musso's on the he's he's like kind of a avant garde jazz guy. So so it's a nice mix of of real musician players uh, on this. I mean, what would be the track that you would want to play from from this album? Oh, don't do that to me. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'm so conventional, Eric. If I haven't made that obvious already, the the second I saw uh, this, I thought, oh well, why don't I try to find, uh, you know, the most what's the most popular song? You know, what's the one that our listeners would know right away, and. <laughs> Well, they would because of the cover of the song by Rod the Mod, Rod Stewart. And I actually, you know, I like uh, Rod's version of that 
you know, I think you're probably one of those people who said every time, every, every album after every uh, picture tells a story, he's just been, you know, just urinating all over his legacy or something, like pooping all over it. Uh, those sound like your words, sir. <laughs> it, it was all uh, over after the faces, man. Right, exactly. Uh, but, you know, I, I have some, I have, you know, I like Young Turks. <laughs> Young hearts be free tonight. So he did a cover of this song, and and the, and geez, the uh, the version that's on this album is is pretty darn good too. Uh, <laughs> this just in him being the writer of the song and all, and it's down. Yeah. Ba- it's, so I'm going to play a little bit of that. I climb to the window and down to the street I'm shining like a new dime The downtown trends are full Of all those Brooklyn girls They try so hard to break out of their little worlds Now you wave your hand and they scatter like clothes They have nothing that will ever capture you So the Rod Stewart version, you know, is, shall we say, more uh, streamlined and tuneful, or whatever you want to talk about, or elegant something, yeah. or produced. Uh, but this 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 version is is wonderful, and and uh, I think the the way to explain the the cult of Tom Waits, uh, you know, for the fans of Tom Waits, is that this is a uh, puts together things as as varied as Kurt Vile, along with you know lounge singing. Uh, folkways recordings. I mean, like all yeah. it's 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 a grab bag of different influences that Tom Waits manages to have well, it all cohere into, and really like a sensibility and a persona, right? Like T- Tom Waits doesn't talk like this you know, when he's you know, you know, right? You know, for those of you who've seen uh, Jim Jarmusch's oh, you, Down by Law, oh, were you gonna go there? Oh yeah, yeah, for, of course. <laughs> I mean, for me, it, uh, and I think I, I think it's a conscious thing. I mean, Tom, he basically Tom Waits was in Jarm, Jim Jarmusch's. Down by Law, and he basically it was he play like a radio DJ or something. It's 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 mm. talk about an impressionistic movie, right? It's he's great in it, and it it really helped me appreciate him more as a musician. I mean, as as a singer, because I realized wow, this guy really is that weird. This guy really does sound that like that. <laughs> you know, it's it's it, he he doesn't talk like this. You know, exactly. You know, his his voice really is is that way. <laughs> I think the 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 maybe the um the rap on on his early work is that he was maybe too besotted with like Charles Bukowski and you know you know mm. barfly type uh things um I don't know what's wrong with that but yeah yeah <laughs> I mean as I ex- yeah are, are there too many of those people I don't, I don't <laughs> right understand. as I explain it it 
it it doesn't sound so bad but i think like the 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 general culture uh, critical reception of rain dogs and frank's wild years where he sort of moves away from that a little bit and and brings in other influences or he mm. isn't so so uh beholden to the Bukowski sensibility. Yes. Does that... <laughs> like some sort of... Uh, is like He's like Bizarro Billy Joel or something. He's like... He's, so. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he, right? He's the piano man in, in the New York bar that you don't usually go to. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And he's not from Long Island, probably. No, no. He's... I think he's a California boy. But, you know, but I definitely... Uh, I, I'm surprised, you know, Springsteen does a lot of his own writing, but... It, that that delivery of that song almost almost ranges gets into boss territory. Yeah, and I don't think it's a it's an accident. The downtown train. You, I get him doing. It. Yeah, well, I, I mean, well, the, we were talk, we could talk about early Springsteen, right, where he was just basically another Jackson Brown guy uh, until he, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you one of those anti Jackson Brown? People? Oh God, my friend Gene has this whole rap where he goes like Jackson Brown has one. Like I can see it on the side of his neck. He has he has one vein and it sticks out a little bit. And I think if I could just like get a knife and hit that one vein, Jackson Brown would die. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you you really don't like him. And then I sort of troll him and say, you know, on the grand spectrum of country rock, you love the birds, right? Yes. Well, the Jackson Brown is just like a little bit right next to it. It's not that different. <laughs> and then he starts punching me. I need to meet this friend of yours. You do, you do. <laughs> and uh, so, so my my knowledge or appreciation of Tom Waits is pretty spotty. But the stuff that I do know, I I, I love. I I'm a real fan of the Ron Man documentary, Poetry in Motion, which had everybody, you know, from Allen mm. Ginsberg to Jim Carroll to um, Diane DePrima and Ann Waldman, all, all these. Th- poets and performance and there was tom waits in a chinese restaurant doing a song with with his guitar tom waits daggers moonlight murder the sheets the stink of four dollar room and that is gonna hunting for a dime bag of schoolboy tied up with a yellow balloon So hush, little baby Daddy was cool I cover you up With a blanket of snow By the time I make Jersey You'll be in heaven In a pretty blue shoebox I know And I think the way to think about Tom Waits as if you're gonna really love him is to think about him as like a troubadour, a poet, right. poet, songwriter. So why Rain Dogs over Frank Wild Year, Frank's Wild Years over Swordfish Trombones? So, yeah, I'm not right. sure. There's I mean, an album previous to this one, Swordfish right? Right. They're all clustering yeah. around that yeah. around that time. It, uh, it could also very well be the, the the that's probably the biggest cover. I mean, I think there are like three quasi famous Jersey covers. Girls. Jersey Girls, yes. Um, uh, Jersey Girl. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. And what was the? What's the third one? Like, um, I, I just felt like three. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's there's other ones as well. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, maybe. But anyway, this is probably the most popular of the cover 
songs. Like it, it got, I, I'm pretty sure that Stewart's cover charted. Oh in other yeah, words, right? Yeah, so yeah. Okay, so here's the here's the original source. And I, I I'm but really, also I guess that's when you know Tom Waits sort of came into the culture a little bit more, you know, popularly. Yeah, to the extent to which he's he's popular. <laughs> right. Yeah, mid to late '80s is like peak Tom Waits in a lot of ways. You know, he over others. I'm sure Tom Waits. You know, diehard fans are dissatisfied with the pick because they would probably would have picked some other album or whatever. The sort of project of Tom Waits is just as almost as important as the music of Tom Waits, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and maybe that links it with spiritualized because it's like, oh, so what if you do if you get a bunch of stoned English people in a studio <laughs> and feed them <laughs> feed them uh, ecstasy and uh, Miles Davis? What do we come up with? Yeah. Uh, with with um, with Tom Waits, it's like, well, what if we have a Bukowski besotted uh, country rock informed Californian Va- vaudeville vaudeville yeah. and have him stick to his musical guns for 10 years what what happens <laughs> how does that mature rather and have than these guitar players especially Rebo I mean Rebo was kind of doing it anyway but it seemed to fit Waits aesthetic perfectly which was to I mean it's not just dissonant guitar lines I mean it's like the guitars are just a little bit on tune yeah. I, I think, yeah. on, on purpose to give that sort of feeling of it's just something just being dirty and and that's <laughs> where know, I think and, uh, and sludgy about it and that's where I think um, there's a link. There's definitely a link to be made with like the New York jazz scene, the New York the knitting factory type jazz scene. Exactly. With Tom Waits, I mean, I was really surprised to see Robert Muso there. I mean, Robert Muso is like a like a guitar guy um, who's part of that whole knitting factory scene completely. So yeah, he must have hooked up with all those people, and that's sort of like the Golden Palominos posse as well, hmm. like Nick Scopolitis and all these different. I'm only naming guitar players. That's sad, but but that whole scene really befits a lot of the stuff that he's doing, even though it might not make sense. Like here's a vaudeville song, or here's a lounge lizard song. <laughs> Hit it, boys! <laughs> right, right. And uh, and I think uh, it's it's fun. There's a lot of fun to Tom Waits that I didn't know. I didn't think about in the '80s. Um, I was all about you know listening to like rock music. Yeah. So then somebody would play, you know, Rain Dogs, and I was like, "What? What is this?" And he sounds and he sounds drunk while he's doing it, right? Yeah. Right. It's part of the delivery, the slurred delivery. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. In our uh, outro last time, I was making an allusion to the fact that uh, he's a litigious guy, man. Tom Waits, like, look, this is one of the things I wanted. To, what I wanted to talk oh, about. Oh, you do actually, okay. yeah. Which I think is one of the more fascinating aspects of Tom's uh, career because he has refused to let any commercials right use his work and so those commercials these companies i think frito-lay was one of them yes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> was frito-lay any rate uh and so since he wouldn't allow them to do it they got someone who sounded like um i found that frito-lay ad a couple weeks ago Another new tortilla chip called Salsa Rio Doritos. It's buffo, bafo, bravo, gung ho, tally ho, but never mellow. Tickle your taste from tangy tomatoes, flavor peppers, noodles of onions, and sassy spices. Now that tongue tickler's quite a stickler. It's confound and resound and perplex and complex and involuted, convoluted, but it sure feels good. All right. Tickle your taste on the tangy tomatoes, flavor peppers, noodles of onions, and sassy spices. 
Abuse all Cerrito Doritos. Yeah, tickle your taste. You try and buy them, get them, got them. Everybody go up and go to Rio. Salsa everybody. Tickle your taste on the tangy tomatoes, flavor peppers, oodles of onions and sassy spices. Abuse all Cerrito Doritos. Yeah, try and buy them, get them, got them. Everybody go. You don't say so and so and so and so it goes. Salsa Rio flavor Doritos brand tortilla chips. Yeah. But not just his work, Eric. His, his sound. His sound. That's like what, the tenor I, I of think his I just, voice. I think I just said that. Did you? Did yeah, you? Yeah, that sounded like him. Right, but but it, it wasn't like he was like get somebody else to sound like Tom Waits singing down downtown train. They have just somebody like well, oh yeah, Frito Lay is great. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and like t- and Tom <laughs> Waits like six his lawyers at him, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and, and somehow that <laughs> that's seems... a good fucking jingle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Frito Lay, you can click on a link on our website to get a ruffles home. have ridges, <laughs> and we'll expect Tom Waits's people to be contacting exactly. you. Uh, but what's really fascinating about that to me, and I think that you could say even more about this than I can, but. We have spent a lifetime watching all those behind the musics mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, or or any one of those VH1 specials on Zeppelin or something, where they don't have the rights at all to play any Zeppelin music, but they have songs in the style. I'm using scare quotes again in the style of Zeppelin. of that riff but it's not <laughs> and what's interesting right is that i think i feel like weights has done something which is unprecedented the courts have called it a moral right not to have someone sound like you mm. right so he's won every single court case there have been like three of them uh where the courts have said no, no someone cannot make a song in the style of you even without infringing on your musical moral rights. Yeah, yeah. But think how many, I mean, but, and, uh, and I, I hate to, you know, your, your lovely wife has a whole... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I know I, about I this. I didn't know if you want to go there, but... Uh, you, My wife edits reality TV shows, and she was a music editor for, right. you know, years as well. And so they have this thing called library music, where, you know, there's, you know, sounds like Green Day, sounds like Led Zeppelin, and, sounds you know... Sounds like Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there is. Uh, maybe I'll ask. Is there, like, sounds like Tom Waits? Um, the thing that's a bit dodgy for me is like Tom Waits you know we talked about Louis Armstrong just a couple of minutes ago he, you know he's borrowing a little bit yeah. slash it's everything it's interesting from yeah. Louis Armstrong so doesn't, uh, he, doesn't he sound like somebody in other words right, right? He, it, yeah. it's you know I'm, I might have been over generous or over praising him saying it's like nothing we ever heard before this combination of vaudeville jazz and lounge <laughs> singing but you know Louis, and, and Louis, I'm sure Louis Armstrong came from somebody as well although if you watch the Burns Rick Burns, Gary Ken, Ken Burns, <laughs> Zeppo Burns, you know, the jazz thing. The the joke is that everything goes back to Louis Armstrong. You know, at least according to Wit and Marcellus. 
I remember, uh, I think it was like Tom Tomorrow type one panel or uh, comic strip where they had this, you know, uh, Ken Burns' story of prog rock. <laughs> and there's one panel with Wynton Marsalis and he goes, you know, yes, Genesis, you know, Emerson Lake and Palmer, they all hawk back to... Louis Armstrong. <laughs> it's, it's so great. Because every time Wynton Marcellus is on camera and that, yeah. it's like, Satchmo. Right. It's all Satchmo. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So, so I, I don't, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, in your words, stridently ambivalent about these lawsuits <laughs> that Tom Waits has, has done over the years. I mean, I can see his point, especially if they ask him. You know, it's that sort of Ghostbusters theme thing where they ask Huey Lewis <laughs> to do the theme from Ghostbusters and then they get Ray Parker Jr. to do an I Want a New Drug sounding song that's the theme from Ghostbusters and it has basically the same bass line as I Want a New Drug. Right. don't know if you won that lawsuit i know they sued because you know they were like you can't just like ask us and we say no and then turn around and they do it and that's the tom waits argument and it really is or maybe it was a car ad i think it was a swedish car ad R- right yeah there's because uh, there's, there's been a couple three, three yeah, yeah at least three court cases and my friend gene who you have to meet actually i think he did a blog post like you know tom waits sues for the rights to louis armstrong's voice <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so I, I don't know about those lawsuits. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that, that he has achieved his own sound, distinctive sound. Um, but here's my trolley question, and people are going to start like throwing things at me. To what degree is Tom Waits that different than, let's say, like Leon Redbone or something, or somebody <laughs> like that? Who? Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> That was a th- that was a question somebody posed to me who I guess didn't like Tom Waits. Like, how do you differentiate him from Leon Redbone? Well, I don't think Leon Redbone wrote his own songs, but yeah, <laughs> not my question, by the way. No, you're, yeah, that's right. Somebody else that's asked right. me that yeah. when I said, "Oh, I'm listening don't, to Tom Waits a lot." Don't leave us. <laughs> yeah, yes. please don't leave us. <laughs> Coming out of a different tradition. Yeah, and plus he's Canadian, Leon Redbone too. I mean, who the hell needs that? We should go out on one of those great Rebo uh, tunes where you can, yeah, where, where you can hear. I mean, you can already hear it, even though it wasn't Rebo, Mark Rebo playing on the. Let's, uh, do, let's, let's, do, let's do Rain Dogs. Yeah, I was going to say, let's just do the, the tunnel track. 
of some of these albums as incomplete as we are roster naming <laughs> is because uh, I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's not a useful exercise to differentiate Leon Redbone and Tom Waits. Let me just say that up, up front. <laughs> but being able to say, well, no, it's like the whole sound. It's, it's the whole producing of the sound that really makes a difference. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, uh, in Rain Dogs in specific, uh, the song that we just listened to, it's not just that Rebeau is mostly in tune there. Uh, it's actually that the, the way that he aggressively... I mean, he he plays in a way that someone would play who doesn't know how to play guitar. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, sort of aggressively. Which sort of makes the, the timbre of the timbre of the uh, string sound like it's out of tune, but, but plonks it away in a, in a really aggressively inelegant way to sort of reflect well, it's the like whole uh, piece is lurching along. I mean, there's a quote attributed to Louis Armstrong. You know, you got in music, wow. you got to know all the rules. Satchmo is everywhere. On you got to know all the rules to, to break them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in music and in life. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 you, you have to be as good as Mark Bow to sound as bad as Mark Bow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a Dolly Parton quote too. you know, it, t- it takes a lot of a lot of money to look this cheap or something like that. <laughs> The third uh, cover that you might have been thinking of is an Eagles tune called Old 55. I don't even know how, how that goes, but that's... Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know how they... wonder how they ruin, wonder how they ruin that. <laughs> I'm also wondering if Stewart's if they paid him. <laughs> trying to imagine the scene of Stewart's people bringing him. Well, how about this song? You know, <laughs> you guys know what I do, right? <laughs> no, I think uh, I think Rod Stewart at least. Oh, I don't know. I think oh. he was like, I really love, I really love Tom Waits. He's an original or something. Okay. Um, 
you know. And so, and so I want to destroy the song. <laughs> I want to eviscerate from the inside. I wonder, I wonder it if uh, it's that album that Andy Taylor produced. I want to turn it into Pablum. <laughs> you are. <laughs> it's an awful song, isn't it? I mean, are you not going to confess? The Rod Stewart version? Yes. I'll, def- I'll defend that. Yeah, sure, of course. Oh, Jesus. I mean, if I'm in a dentist and I need to, like, groove to something while I'm... <laughs> You could do a lot worse than down, down, down train. I, I will. I will also confess that Tom Waits is probably not what I want to listen to <laughs> while being drilled on in the chair. I don't think Tom Waits wants to listen to Tom Waits while he's going to the dentist. As you're sinking, you, could you turn that off, please? <laughs> you're, as you're slink, slinking lower and lower into the chair. Could you turn that off? We just have silence. Well, I get my. Oh, I'm gonna kick you now. All right, so that was, boy, we're well, we're not finished yet. This is the time you are kicking with. It's picking. the time and the season. Your time to kick and pick for loving. 1991, the year 19... that punk broke. The year that punk, the year that punk broke, or the year that. That's the uh, that metal died. Right, yeah. right. But there was a, wasn't there a documentary like the year the punk broke? Maybe it was ninety four or something like that. The Lollapalooza where it was like Sonic Youth headlined, <laughs> and everybody left as they were playing because you know, they had already seen Hole and what it, Beastie Boys maybe or something. Instead, nineteen ninety one. Ninety one. Famous, obviously, for Nevermind yes. ma- making its appearance. I bet you that's on the top one hundred. I it mean, is on the. Yeah. T- it is. It's yeah. up there. It's, it's way up there. It's way up there. Which is why I'm not picking it. I don't know that I would pick it actually. Uh, I, and in fact, it's related because my choice, with my m- mouth smacking noise there, is I'm looking deep into your heart because I'm trying to like. It's do, are you do, going American or British? That's the that's that's the. Do move. you want to guess it? You want to guess? Uh, I'm. You want, you want to try? I'm thinking maybe you're picking. Uh, an American band. I'm not sure, but but I think you're going Brit. Yeah, I'm going American, baby. You are? Oh, st- sorry. I am. Okay. So uh, this is Slint Spider oh, Spiderland. You, you are nothing if not consistently obscuro. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I have to. It's not that. Ob- well, you know, Chicago. So- Slint's Chicago, right? Originally from Louisville, Kentucky. This oh, is the, okay. this is the Louisville Chicago connection. Bonnie Prince Billy as well. If you're hit yeah, the yeah. Bonnie Prince Billy, um, but yeah, this actually was on rotation uh, at my place <laughs> back in, in in the days of uh, the ends of uh, the college years. <laughs> you were just like a monk. <laughs> Listen to the Slint album. No one. <laughs> All, well, we, we were all listening to it, uh, and with with all the songs at you know seven seven minutes a piece or so, it was one that you it was one that you snuggled in. Well, what's for? How do you how do you, for our listening audience at home? I and not me because I know who Slint are. Well, <laughs> explain Slint to us. One or two albums, right, or one album, or and then that was you it. know I was here. I was going to come in and uh, swing for the fences on why. Slint isn't on the list. God damn it! <laughs> because I think they're they're in many ways the Velvet Underground of indie rock. Wow, that is that's high praise. Yeah, a, a band that made a big splash, influenced a lot of people 
unlike the Velvet Underground, though, we're done. <laughs> uh, they made one album in 1989 that was with a certain producer named Steve Albini. Never heard of him. Who made it? <laughs> who made it punchy? <laughs> Uh, and then they retreated and made us an album that sounded somewhat like the first album, but, but quite a bit more spacious, uh, and a little more angular, uh, and drew upon that sort of post punk. I, I, you know, the Pixies were already at this sort of, uh, loud, soft, loud, uh, yeah. dynamic, which so many, um, late post punk bands, I'll still call them that. Uh, we're on to at the time uh, but I think Slint is often brought up in conversations about post-rock and whatever the hell that means uh, Slint was somehow responsible for st- at least starting the sounds that led to Tortoise and yeah. so they predate Ma- Tortoise Ma- Mogwai and yeah they I mean, pre- Tortoise is from Chicago as well but right. and, and this uh, Spiderland was recorded in Chicago um, you know, with some people who knew guys from Tortoise and that kind of thing. So, the, mm-hmm. and Tortoise sounds nothing like uh, uh, Slint, and that's why the sort of post-rock term is a little strange. Um, because post rock itself gets referred, you know, Stereo Lab gets referred to as post-rock sometimes. Right. Sometimes it's a useful term, and sometimes it isn't. But yeah. I think uh, with as far as Slint's concerned, my impression of them, at least, is that they were like a proper rock lineup band that didn't do proper lineup proper rock lineup songs i mean they they you know they weren't like in other words like switching to theremin mid song like on stage or something like that exactly. we're talking like the, the dude was playing guitar a dude was playing bass, bass who was playing drums, drums. were they a power trio or sometimes and sometimes another guitar but other, right. and then one guy whispering verses and screaming choruses um, oh that's right they're but, sort of like a yeah yeah but so post rock, then, if it's to have any useful connotation, is to say uh, bands that re- went back to using rock instruments, particularly guitars, again, but not for the purpose of, you know, using making chords, right, or m- melodic riffs. Right, so instead using them for textural or yeah. timbral reasons. I love is, that because as a guitar player, I'm like, I can at least like half imitate that. <laughs> Give me right. a delay pedal and a distortion. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's look, stuff I do. I'm looking forward to your Soundscapes album <laughs> right, next. Exactly. <laughs> Daniel Nestor's Soundscapes. I remember there was a compilation called Guitarists, and I think it was put out by IRS Records or something, and it was all instrumental guitar things with... You know, uh, dinosaur junior guy Jay Maskus and other people. It was really cool, and it was it was as it occurs to me a total post rock compilation because <laughs> it was all people doing little. And of course, Thurston Moore has. I mean, he probably, you know, like you have you're under contractual you obligation had, you, to include him. Yes, you had to get his approval <laughs> to release anything. How many documentaries is he in? Yeah, he's always sure. behind his like awesome wall of vinyl. <laughs> Let me give you a sense. Listeners, what's the name of this album? Is it Slint's Spiderland? Yeah, and there is no track called Spiderland on it. Uh, One of the members' younger brother said that the music sounded like spiders, Uh and it's true because of the way that uh, David Paho, the um, guitar player, um, created this sort of angular riffs that sort of seemed to sort of creep their way around uh, before they got to the rocking part of this we're gonna have to edit this in some creative way 
you know, so that you get the, uh, oh, the <laughs> loud part and the quiet part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in our little minute, you know, that we can, that we can yeah, give you here, yeah. but I'm going to actually just uh, play off the, the, the lead off track. Sure. Which let's is do it. bread come trail, bread crumb trail. that we're not using that you're not using yes and i'm gonna get you really like oh what a philosophy i'm stealing I'm, myself what a fee yeah is it starts with a g grunge there's a little bit there right no there's absolutely there's none of it there no none <laughs> i mean i, I think that's You'll part deny of like me three times i, I will you cannot at, deny that at least three times <laughs> because i think it's part of, part of my personal narrative about really being obsessed with that out al- this album in 1991 and then never You're mind like, this is not pearl jam damn it <laughs> not even close uh and then never mind came out and i was like yeah i mean you know it was uh to me uh, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about nirvana Whoa. when we get there but uh you know it was a little exciting but it was uh, four distorted chords and and melodic screaming uh, Nirvana. Oh, that's that. Uh, come I'm, on. I'm being dismissive. Yeah. I'm telling you about 1991, though. Yeah. This to me, man, was poetry. I this think was, it... this was this was beautiful guitar playing. Yeah. Really repetitive. I, you know, I love. You know, as as Mark Smith from The Fall says, it has the three R's in it: repetition, repetition, and repetition. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a riff that comes in and it just moves us along as we slowly move toward this screaming swell of a chorus Uh, and yet yes and yet talk to me rumor has it that you're not the biggest pavement fan true so won't deny it yeah so that's that's fascinating to me because i like especially with the spoken 
uh, intro type thing and, and a bit of the, you know, um, shall we say eccentric guitar uh, lick that that's there a little bit of a yeah. round round yes's roundabout <laughs> harmonic with like a little guitar lick uh so the steve howe influence you're yeah, saying there yeah the, <laughs> more than a little bit it's like the first thing you learn when you're playing guitar is like do the roundabout thing <laughs> Yeah, and, and but, yeah, but, so but I'm not. You, the, I'm why not the, are you being a grunge because of these the, the soft verse and the loud uh, chorus or something? Yeah, or? I mean, when you skipped over to the loud part, it just made me think. Uh, there's there's a bit of, there's a bit of that going on, but I do think it's very regional. You know, I mean, if if people in England can talk about Manchester, it, London, and different and different sounds, I think we certainly can in, in this country. And I think that's a very like midwestern, to my ear, Chicago type of indie rock sound that I associate with mm. uh, Tortoise. Yeah, certainly. Um, and and all the math rock bands that, yeah. that came out of this, usually without vocals, right? I mean, and, right. and in fact. I, I I'll just confess I still don't know what Brian McMahon is saying to this day on, on a lot of those whispered verses. It, it didn't matter to me. It was just um, you know like your version of Michael Stipe. It just it sounded good there, right? <laughs> and I was glad that no one was singing in some ways. And so there were a lot of instant like Mogwai is a really great example. Another great post rock band that just just guitar instrumentals. When you, know? when you say you're glad that no one's singing, you're it's it almost presents it as a problem. Like, how the hell are you going to sing along to this without making an ass of yourself, or without <laughs> that's right, without uh, you know, are you going to go the Jim Morrison route? Or are you going to go the Bruce Dickinson route? Like, what's going to happen? And so, yeah. I think that's the reason why something like uh, Nirvana did click because there was a singer who right and, 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 and a very melodic one on top mm-hmm. of that. I, I guess the, when the issue of the singing or, or whatever, I think it solves the problem when you have someone sort of anti-singing or speaking o- over it. But I think, yeah, if you're thinking about 1991 Nirvana, you know he's he, he to give credit to Kurt Cobain, he sort of figured out like how do you sing along to this stuff. Um, you know, you could go the King Buzzo ro- Buzzo route. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and they're actually a little closer to Slint than, than Nirvana was. Because I mean, Nirvana was still four, four, four chords. I mean, it was still, you know. <laughs> I mean, come on. They they they, they were a pop band uh, dressed up a little more angrily. Oh jeez! I'm just yeah. gonna let this stuff like linger in the air. I, I wasn't. I'm pre- still feeling 91. I wasn't you know, prepared I'm- for, uh, for to defend Nirvana. I have to like co- cohere my thoughts a little more. But uh, but you know these are not. This is the same producer. The same producer produced Nevermind as this Slint album. <laughs> I mean, it was maybe even the same stu- studio. I, I don't know. No, that they were in Sound City or whatever. Right. But uh, you know this. These are these people are first cousins, if not. You know, siblings. 
and I think that's the kind of weird part, you know, when you think about REM, like how how close was you know the plimsolls, you know, from you know, you know, reaching those same heights, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, you're a player hater because Slint didn't, you know, make it make it on MTV. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, Slint never would have made it on MTV. That, that was the whole the whole point, I think. I guess of right the, of the huge difference between them. Yeah, I mean, and I, not huge riffage. I mean, because because the riffage would come in the form of. Soundgarden or Pearl Jam or whatever. I hate both of those bands, by the way. Like on, on you like you I like. Do, uh, I, I, I do like Soundgarden, but uh, see, so I'm not completely anti-riff. What I'm saying right. is that, that, that this is notable for not mm-hmm. having done that, right? Well, I'm glad that you brought the fall in because the fall sort of eludes me as far as it's not its appeal, but just like where do I start? You know, like you know, there's yeah. a billion fall. So when we're off know. the air, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 50, 50 what, oh, God damn it. What's the title? 50,000 fall fans can't be wrong. Right, or right, right. <laughs> so, but I think it, it, that it helps me understand, you know, the appeal and the influence of slint that it's, it's sort of in that camp of eccentric rock or eccentric post rock is the fall post rock. The fall, the fall was <laughs> the, the fall started in 1958 through, through post punk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, but I can see, I can understand slint when you, Invoke the Fall Guy, whatever his name is, <laughs> Mark E. Smith. Yeah, Mark E. Smith. Uh, yeah, and we've already talked about the other band, which gets which gets credited with starting post rock, uh, which is Talk Talk. On the on the other side of the lake, on the other side of the, the pond. pond. Yeah, uh, uh, and 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 uh, although we talked about Color of Spring, which I think is probably where you should start, which was earlier, but Laughing Stock was released in in ninety one. That's the one As that well. I was. That's the one that, that right. That's when we talked the, about a little bit the last time. We yeah, it's good to have. Uh, it's good to have Eric Hertz's in your circle of friends around that time because they hippie to these <laughs> albums you'd never heard of. But this n- none of my uh, you know since it was ninety one and I was like a super senior in college or whatever. I don't think anybody that I knew was listening to this, and I feel sort of I feel like I was left out somehow. I only heard about this years afterwards, so. I wasn't clearly. I wasn't hanging around with the right people. <laughs> You're right. It's been a lot of time. I'm in the house that I was living in <laughs> because we did get the guitars out and just try and figure out these pieces and just play them, you know, for hours on end. You were in a band. I, you were in I was bands. In, I was in bands, plural. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. Always had a guitar in my hand back oh, then. Oh wow. I had calluses back then. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> God, I wish I was. I wish I could say that. <laughs> Um, but it, this is definitely an important. Inf- this is regarded as an important influential it, album. It, it, and I, the, the, I was going to say when I saw 1991 was on there. Unlo- so like you know, every time I've done the, one of these kicker picks, I'm always like, oh well, I thought about doing this one, and I thought about doing this one, or blah blah blah. But I finally got to this. When I saw 91 was there, it's like <laughs> Spiderland. No because, kidding. Wow. Because, uh, and I didn't even have to. <laughs> it wasn't like, well, maybe I should. No, no, no. It was Spiderland, mm. not only because of my own personal uh, mm-hmm. attachment to it, uh, but also because I cannot believe how frequently it is left off top 100 lists, even from, you know, really snotty ones like like the enemy. Yeah. And this is a nice 85 type pick, I guess. <laughs> there you go. I mean, a band that go. had like one 
or two albums and then kind of left. They reunited recently, though, didn't they? They did, just like a lot of bands. The Rent they, is Due Tour. You know? <laughs> the, the Rent is Due Tour. The kids are in college. Come and play <laughs> Spiderland front to back. Did you ever see them live? I didn't see them live. Not no. even in the... No. In the, no. New uh, reuniting mm, thing. No. Mm-mm. This wasn't an extensive like uh, Pixies type of a re- reunion tour. I think they only did like Chicago, New York, L.A. or if that. Right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then it sort of fell apart again. And um, <laughs> but David Paha went on to do really great uh, albums as Ariel M and Papa M and Oh, I've heard of that. And other guys went on to do Four Carnation. Great, great albums from the nineties. Huh. But I would like to end talking about Spider-Land with the, actually the last track, um, which I think actually captures best uh, the, the spidery guitar lines and the... And shock and, me. And it's called the, Shock Me. And Make Me Feel Better. <laughs> so many Kiss references on the, on the podcast. <laughs> we, we really should have episodes where we say up front we're going to try to integrate as many rush puns as we can and then we just go <laughs> that's right and then we never footnote any of it that's right you know <laughs> every once in a while just go subdivisions <laughs> just be cool or be cast out okay <laughs> on that incredibly <laughs> unhelpful <laughs> wonderful digression <laughs> i want to end talking about splint <laughs> they, they, splint Jesus. Splint. did you say splint? splint no you got you got to edit Spliderland. Spliderland. i would i would actually call them the slints <laughs> that's right <laughs> oh good morning captain good Go morning captain
So that was Good Morning Captain by Slint. Slint. Are they naked on I know, the cover? I know this whole one. <laughs> anyway, here comes here comes the lick. You ready? You know it, nice. Don't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, from the from the beginning. From the beginning, you knew I mean, it. That's a, they, oh, yeah, of course, it. of course, oh, yeah, yes. yeah. So, so the, obviously, Slint were jamming out to ELP, and we're like, That's "How right. do we make this our own?" Greg Lake was the actual influence on David Pahov. <laughs> let's let's take a look at the list for our next episode, and uh, it'll probably be another Tom Waits. Tom Waits. Uh, it is not. Album. You know what it is, though, and I, and I'm serious that I'm going to come up with some uh, effect for this. It's the first Mojo. Double swap. Du- yeah. <laughs> Double swap. <laughs> Double swap. Double swap. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So hold it. The, the, so the let's let's talk about like what was picked. What should have happened for next time. <laughs> and what will happen. For the eighty fours. Yes. This is this is uh for eighty four the uh the pick from Entertainment Weekly. Yes, for me was supposed to be Patty Smith horses, South Jersey's own. Yeah, That's and it, which feels low, by the way. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, eighty four seems like low for Patty Smith, which is why. Which is why because it's, yeah, it's, it's higher, higher up. It's high. Does that mean higher it's higher elsewhere. up on the enemy list then? Yeah, and uh, holes live through this is is the um, enemy list pick for 84 and that must be higher up on the e- entertainment weekly list right boy i'm getting this now like it's these finally, many it's these, finally kicking in. these many so we have a double mojo swap out double swap <laughs> double swap double swap double swap <laughs> you get to talk about yes yuppie shagging music portis heads dummy you never, you never saw the takeoff of, of this album cover. Like the album cover has like a woman. It might be the lead singer from Portishead, mm-hmm. but <laughs> there's a takeoff of Portishead and it's yuppie shagging music, and it's like a pregnant woman on the cover. <laughs> it just strikes me funny. And I will talk about GJ, DJ. And I will be talking about. I'm slurring my speech like I'm like. Tom Waits. Like, like Tom Waits. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, like, Liza Minnelli or something. And I, darling, we'll be talking about DJ Shadows introducing. Introducing. Not introducing, but end, as in the end. Yeah. Introducing. It's uh, a good one. And I'll have a kicker pick. Jesus Christ. From 95. 95? We're, ver- we're We are very British and very 90s again next next oh. time. I'm gonna pick like a back. I'm just gonna pick a Backstreet Boys album just to, as an fu to everybody. Don't back, make me pick back a '95. Backstreet's back, all right. <laughs> Backstreet's back, all right. Pick an album from 1995. 
And I'm sure there's somebody like, oh, that was an important year. What? What do you, do you have a 95 like in mind right now? Like that you would maybe help me out with? <laughs> Just give you a 95. Oh my god! I'm gonna pick like an Emerson Lake and Palmer album or something. You know, didn't they? Didn't Emerson Lake and Powell come out around that time? <laughs> Do you remember that song? I don't. It was played on album-oriented rock stations with a straight face, and it got into you know, <laughs> you know, regular rotation. Well, that's going to be an interesting uh, episode. Uh, we are definitely still in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, the people from Mojo are interesting folks. Let me tell you, I'm I'm pleased that we have them aboard. Yeah, definitely. I, I you know I I really. These days, I rely on Mojo just to keep up with everything. I don't. I, I don't go <laughs> to do spin. Everything. I don't go no. to pitchfork. I don't go. I probably should, uh, but but those are you know. Every time I get the issue, I just. Well, they're so big, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's enough. Yeah, um, but but these but these picks are. A, 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 I, mean, I can see Portishead. I'm surprised Portishead is there. Actually, I mean, I really like that Portishead album when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um. But I thought maybe it was entry level ish, like for that kind of atmospheric music. What do you or mean something? entry level ish? I mean, it seems like that that they sort of started that sort of. Oh really? Okay, trip, that's good. Trip trip hop, trip mm-hmm. hoppy. I want to call it. Yeah, that's is that the Not one? Not just with, me, but <laughs> I think other people want yeah. to call it. Is that the one with Sour Times? Nobody loves me. Is that? Hopefully, that's the album yeah. with it on it. Yeah, I mean, I love that album, but I I feel somewhat. Uh, bad about it. It kind of became too big in a way. I saw them live, though. I did. Did you? Yeah. And David Byrne was there. I saw David Byrne. It was like the Hammersmith Odeon or whatever it's called. It's no longer there. Hmm. Don't bother looking for it. Don't look for it. <laughs> and we got one DJ on the entire list, and he's white. <laughs> he's, That's the we, whole. We got a white guy. Yeah. Oh, so it, you're the keeper of the list. This is the only DJ. Album? I'm that's pretty sure that's true. Yeah, this is the only wow. DJ album. I mean, we talked about Fat Boy Slim a, <laughs> a long time ago with yeah. the House Martins. Out of the House Martins, anyway, Norman Cook. But um, we did talk about them, didn't we? <laughs> we did, of course, <laughs> on purpose. But here's our here's our one white DJ. But I think somebody burned me a copy. <laughs> that's right. Remember, handed, handed you a CDR. You ever heard people like burn copies? Like we we don't have like a device to hold these things yet, these files. Yes, but we'll burn them on CDRs and write them on Sharpie. Mix CDs. <laughs> they were never as fun for sure. 
<laughs> well, thanks for listening to Album yes. Oriented. Uh, I'm Daniel Nestor. I'm Eric Hertz. And until next time, uh, don't change. Don't, don't change a thing. Don't change a thing. Take out those albums and orient yourselves to them. And what's your 100 list? You should write to us somehow. Oh, nice. You know? <laughs> Tell us what you think. And here's here's uh, Dan's home address. Exactly. To, to send your written letters. <laughs> Tom Waits is a musical genius. <laughs> That's right. What's up with this pipe-shaped package I've received? Exactly. <laughs> I was just following your lead on the audience interaction tip, and I, I kind of applaud you in the, uh, no, no, they just listen, and that's it. <laughs> like that whole, like, leave something on our Facebook page. You know, tell us how much we suck. <laughs> no, no, you're not going to get that chance. I'm telling you already how dark it can get. So. <laughs>